0: Let's pray. I want to pray for the message, and then we're going to open up God's Word. So let's do that. I praise you, Father, for 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that you are able to make all grace abound to us so that always, in everything, we will have sufficiency for all you call us to do. And I need your grace, Lord. Pour out your grace upon me now, I pray. Give me the heart, give me the wisdom, give me the words. And would you pour your grace out upon each of us? This is such an amazing passage of scripture. I pray that you would deeply impact our lives through it, change us through it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. So imagine uh, that you are a basketball fan. Any basketball fans here? Okay. Uh, well, anyway, thank you, Jasmine. Think about this. Jasmine and I will talk about this. Imagine you were at a basketball game, and uh, but something strange is happening. You're watching this, these, these teams play, and they're, like, dribbling really hard and running and passing and running and dribbling and passing, and they're just, like, sweating and working, but nobody's ever taken any shots. Nobody's shooting for the basket at all. Just dribbling, passing, running, but nobody's shooting, and that'd be strange because in basketball it's impossible to win without baskets, right? Dribbling doesn't count. I mean, you can out you can dribble circles around the other team, you can pass phenomenally accurately, you can run faster than anybody else, but without baskets, it's impossible to win. Okay? You're getting this? If you guys watch basketball, okay, so this is really important. So without <laughs> baskets, it's impossible to win. And there's a parallel between that Strange picture of basketball and our relationship with God. The Bible teaches that there's one thing we must have without which it's impossible to please God. One thing we must have. That if we don't have this one thing, then we can give money away to the poor, we can go to church every single Sunday. We can love our enemies, forgive those who hurt us. We can do all these other things, but unless we have this one thing, we will not please God. Without this one thing, it is impossible to please God. Which makes it really important to know what this one thing is. So what is the one thing? Shh, we're getting there. It's in our next passage of Hebrews. I'm trying to build up to this, Marsha, okay? <laughs> Marcia, love it, okay? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where it is. Hebrews chapter 11. Marsh has already let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 6. Now, if you need a Bible, we want you all to have one to look on with. Really important that you have the Word of God in front of you that you can look on as we walk through this passage. Hebrews 11. It's on page 1007 in the Bibles that we are passing out. What is the one thing we must have? if we are to please God look at what the author says in Hebrews 11:1 through 6 now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it the people of old received their commendation from God by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Did you catch that? So the one thing we must have, if we're going to be pleasing to God, is faith. And what the author does in these verses is to explain what faith is. Now, before we dig into the details of the passage, though, I want to have us get an overview of where the author's been coming so we see these verses in the overall context. You've got the little arc picture on your notes there. We'll get it here, but there it is on the screen. Excellent. Thanks, guys. So in chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, in the first half of chapter 10, this is a huge foundation for where the author's going now. He answers the question, how can we as sinful people be forgiven by God and reconciled to God and have a, relation, a loving relationship where God loves us and forgives us and accepts us and blesses us? And how can we have that? And the answer is because of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect priest to represent us before God because of his perfect sacrifice which paid for our sins. So that's chapter 5 through the beginning of first half of chapter 10. Huge, doctrinal, rock-solid, immovable, unshakable foundation. The work of Christ is done. It is finished. It is secure. It's set. And then in the second half of chapter 10, he gives four commands. Four therefores. One is, draw near to God. The Father's arms are open because of Christ. Forgiveness is there. Draw near to God. Know God. Oh, have you have you had times this week where you've drawn near to God and known Him and communed with Him and fellowshiped with Him? Second command, hold fast to God's promises. Temptations will try to pull us away from God's promises. Discouragements will try to pull us away from God's promises. Hold fast to God's promises. Keep holding. Faith in God's promises. And then the third command, encourage each other in faith to keep holding on to God's promises because they're going to be... Tempted to drift away, to to be pulled away. So you hold fast to God's promises. Encourage your brothers and sisters to hold fast to God's promises. Then the fourth command is strengthen your faith that God is your better possession and your abiding, your lasting possession. Strengthen your faith that God, you are my better possession and you're going to last forever. Knowing you is going to last forever. So that's where we've come up to this point. And then in chapter 11. The author picks up on that last verse in chapter 10 where he talks about faith, the crucialness of faith. He wants us to see why faith is so important. We saw last week, verses 1 and 2, something amazing happens when we have faith. Here's what the men of old experienced, which is what we all will experience. When you put your trust in God through Jesus Christ, you will have times when we feel his pleasure in us. His merciful, undeserved pleasure in us and his, his commendation that we are pleasing to him. You will have times where God will pour that out upon you. And when that happens, you will be even more assured that God is real and he's going to keep his promises. That's verses 1 and 2. So verses 1 and 2 show why it's so important that we have faith in God. And then the author wants us to go back to the very beginning and say, so if that's how important faith is, where does faith start? Where does faith begin? And look at what he says in verse 3. Where does faith start? Where does it begin? Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the starting point of faith is to understand that the universe... I mean, just look at those windows there. Okay, we're in a building here. But that the universe was created by God. That's where faith starts, understanding that. And how do we understand that the universe was created by God? How do we understand that? By faith. Now, how does faith enable us to understand that the universe was created by God? Some of you here may not believe that the universe was created by God. We are really glad you're here. I'd like to persuade you now that the universe was created by God, or have God persuade you. So how does faith persuade people that the universe was created by God. Is it just that you kind of take this blind leap of faith to kind of jump out into the darkness in spite of the evidence, just forget the evidence, I'm just going to believe? No, it's not how it works. To see how it works, turn to Romans chapter 1. That's back to the left, it's page 939 in the Bibles we've passed out. Here Paul tells us how faith enables us to understand that God created the universe. Romans 1, it's page 939 in the Bibles we passed out. Romans 1, start in verse 18. He starts off explaining why God has, has wrath against all of humanity. This is what we've all done in these verses. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is what we've all done. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So Paul is saying that every human being knows plainly that there's a God. How do they know this so plainly? How does God show this to them? Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So how is this known? How is it seen that that there's a God? Because God's attributes are clearly seen in the things that have been made. That's how people, that's how we can know that there is a God who's created everything. It's because God's existence is clearly seen in what he's made. Think about the universe. Think about our globe. Think about your body. He made you. Just look at the people around you. The things that have been made clearly show God made it. God made it. God made it. That's what Paul says in verse 20. Let me try to give you an illustration of this. Think about your body. Okay, right now, inside of you, an incredibly complex chemical process is going on, right? So whatever you ate for breakfast this morning is right now being digested. So right now, your body is turning that bagel or that bowl of Captain Crunch or that yogurt, if you're on the more health side of things, right now, your body there's an incredibly complex chemical process going on, enzymes being secreted and things being churned and different things, I mean, all kinds of incredibly complex chemical processes are taking place inside of you right now to turn that bagel or that Captain Crunch or that yogurt into protein and nutrients and energy that your body needs. There's an inc- incredibly complex chemical process going on inside of you right now, and you don't even need to think about it, Right? I forgot the enzyme. No, you don't need to worry about it, okay? The enzyme's going to go in at exactly the right time. So here we are, this incredibly complex process is going on. You've all got one of these chemical factories right there. You've all got one inside of you, and it's doing its job. Now, every time we see something with that level of complexity and function and purposefulness and design... Every time we see that, we know someone built that. That didn't just happen. Someone built it. Like if you if you drove down the street and you came up upon this amazing factory and the sign says, bagel, Captain Crunch, and yogurt processing plant. And that this plant takes in bagels and Captain Crunch and yogurt and and the output after a lot of complicated chemical things is protein and nutrients and energy that we need. If you saw a plant that did that, you wouldn't think, That just happened. You'd think, someone designed that. Someone built that. Someone made that. You've got one of those inside of you. That didn't just happen. Entities of that complexity and that much function and that much organization and that much design don't just happen. Every time we see one, we say, somebody built that, somebody built that, somebody built this, right? Somebody built this, Somebody built these things, but for some reason, when we look at ourselves, we think, well, that just happened. Uh, we all got just look like, really lucky, okay? I could eat bagels and it works, all right? <laughs> Captain Crunch even. Now, why is it that we deny the plain as day evidence in front of us that there's a designer behind the universe? Why? Look at the answer that Paul gives in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, why didn't we believe this evidence? It's because we didn't want to honor God. We didn't want to give thanks to God. We didn't want to bend the knee before God. We didn't want there to be a God. It's what the Bible calls sin. And sin clouds our thinking. Sin makes us become futile in our thinking. Sin darkens our thinking. So we we don't want to see the evidence. And so we won't own up to the evidence. We've all been there. Okay. Now here's the good news. God loves us. Here we are, his creatures. He created us. I mean, look at the amazing body you have, you can see his goodness in this and his wisdom and his love. Look at what he's done in making you. And we as creatures have said, no, I'm not going to, no, la, 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 I don't see it, you know, I'm not going to own up to the evidence. And God loves us, even though we as creatures are turning our backs on him. And even though we've turned our backs on him and we rightly deserve his judgment and his wrath, as Paul just said, God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, as we've been singing about this morning, as we celebrated with communion, and Jesus was punished on the cross in our place so we could be forgiven. And because of what Jesus did, God brings his power upon people. And he changes our hearts. He breaks the power of sin in our hearts. He takes out those sinful hearts, gives us new hearts. He gives us faith. And what faith simply does is faith just owns up to the evidence. Okay? Before it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. He changes my heart. I want to. God's here. God's made everything. God gave me this, okay? That's how it works. This is how faith gives us understanding. Faith lets you see the evidence. It's not a blind leap of faith in the dark. Faith lets you see the evidence that God's created everything. This is where faith starts. Seeing the evidence for God and saying, There is a God. God is. God exists. That's what he says in verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So just let this sink in. Just let this rock you. There's a God. We are not alone. You've been created. A being of amazing wisdom and power and goodness and love has made you. You're here for his reason. Hugely important. Changes everything. So that's where faith starts. Understanding that there's a God who's created everything. And that raises another question. What difference does that make? That there's a God. A lot of people believe that there's a God. I think if you asked most people in San Jose, did a little, you know, poll down the street, I'm sure more than half the people would say there's a God. But for many, many, many people, it makes absolutely no difference in their lives. So what difference does it make that there's a God? So the author tells us in verse four, and he explains what difference it makes by giving us the example of Abel. This is from the Old Testament. Okay. Look what he says right here in verse four. By faith, here's faith again, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he, Abel, was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And here's what's going on in this story. Abel and Cain are brothers, Okay. Both of them agree that there's a God, okay? But only Abel has faith. And the reason we know that Abel has faith is because he offers to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Now, how is it more acceptable? What does that mean? Turn back to Genesis chapter 4. I want to show you what it means. Genesis chapter 4. This is back on page 3 in the Bibles we passed out. Okay, we're going way back to the beginning, page 3. All right, Genesis chapter 4 story of Cain and Abel, and look at the difference in their offerings. So Abel offered an offering to God, Cain brought an offering before God, but Abel's was more acceptable. Why? Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Okay, so notice Cain's offering is just described as an offering of the fruit of the ground. Okay, like any old pumpkin. Just give him a pumpkin. That one, fine. Give him that Any Just get it done. Okay, any old pumpkin. But Abel's offering is described as First of all, it's the firstborn of the flock, which means the very first lambs that were born before he had all kinds of births, so lots of reserves to make sure he was covered in case I went wrong. The very first he offered to the Lord, and not just the firstborn, he offered their fat portions, which I think probably means that was like the tastiest cut of the meat or something. So that word firstborn and the fact that it was the fat portions shows that Abel was giving God the very best. Here, the best, the first and the best. Here it goes. Sacrifice to you, offering this to you. Now, here's the question. Why would anybody in their right mind give God the very best of their earthly possessions? Why? Why would we do that? Turn back to Hebrews 11. The answer is in verse 6. Here's why Abel did this. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Are you there? Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he, here's the crucial line, rewards those who seek him. The reason is because you know God's going to reward you. God promises reward. You know that God is going to reward you with something that's far better than the best of your earthly possessions. That's why you offer to God the best you've got because God's going to reward you with something infinitely better. And what is it that God will give you? We talk about this often. Can't talk about it too often. What what is the reward? It's God. God will give you Himself. Because Jesus paid for our sins, you can know God. You can have fellowship with the living God. You can worship God. You can love God. You can experience God's very presence because of what Jesus Christ has done. What God gives you through Christ is Himself. Because knowing Him, worshiping Him, loving Him is infinitely better than the best the world can offer. Who was talking about that this morning? I think you were saying something about that, about driving down the freeway. Ian was saying, talking about that earlier today. And so Abel believed that God rewards us with the infinitely most satisfying best treasure there is, God himself. Now, just a side note here. Don't misunderstand that word reward. You could think that means that our faith earns reward from God deserves reward from God that would be absolutely wrong the only way we can be receiving anything good from God is because of whom it's Jesus Christ the only reason we can receive anything good from God is because of what Jesus Christ has done because of Jesus death on the cross God can mercifully reward our undeserving faith Anytime you get a reward from God, it's his mercy rewarding your undeserving faith. Our faith is never perfect. Plus, we've got a whole track record of sin. And so when God rewards us, which he does, it's pure mercy through Jesus Christ. So mercy, so reward is God's merciful rewarding of our undeserving faith. His merciful rewarding of our undeserving faith. Mercy, 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 which, by the way, is great news. Because some of you are thinking, reward. I hate hearing about how God rewards us. I'm never going to get any reward from God. You can. You will. So I'm not deserving. Exactly. Admit you're not deserving. Put your trust in Christ. Trust him as your treasure. He will reward you mercifully, and he'll reward your undeserving faith with more of himself. Okay, now verse 4, read that again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he, Abel, was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Okay, so Abel had faith. He knew that God existed, verse 3. But not just that God existed. He knew that God was infinitely more of a reward than the best the world has to offer. And so he offered his best as an offering, a declaration of God's worth to him, took the best he had, you are worth everything to me. And that act of faith, that act of undeserving faith, was mercifully rewarded by God commending him as righteous, God commending him as pleasing to him. Okay, so he was pleasing. Remember the basketball game? Just dribbling, just passing. No, no, no. Faith its pleasing to him. And then notice the last thing that verse 4 says. Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. What is he saying? Abel is still saying something. He's died, but he's still talking. What Abel is saying is, God will commend you and reward you through faith. He will mercifully commend you, and he will mercifully reward you through your undeserving faith. So he's telling you this. If Abel was standing here today, he'd say, Listen, trust him. He'll commend you. Trust him. He'll reward you. This is what Abel would be saying right now if he was standing here. He's still talking, he's still speaking. That's what he would say. But now there's a problem here. At this point, I think the author realizes he's just mentioned that Abel died. Abel died. Catch that right there in verse 4? He died. And that raises a question. How valuable can God's reward be if death can take it away? If death can destroy it? Feel the question? How valuable is God's reward if death is like the end? And I think that's why the author next mentions Enoch. Okay? Enoch, verse 5. Enoch is mentioned back in Genesis chapter 5, I think it is, in a long genealogy. Okay, This father gave birth to this son, who gave birth to this son, who gave birth to this son. It's so all these guys listed. Long genealogy. And, 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 and after each of them, it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. So all of them, he died, he died, except for one. Enoch. What happened to Enoch. Look at verse 5. Hebrews 11, verse 5. Look at what the author says. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. So Abel died, but Enoch, by faith, was taken up so he should not see death. And he was not found anywhere on the earth because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Abel had pleased God. Abel died, Enoch pleased God, Enoch was taken up. So God spared Enoch from death and took him directly from earth to heaven. Now this raises a huge question in the book of Genesis. Are you feeling the question? Remember Adam and Eve sinned. The fall came in Genesis chapter 3. And as a result of the fall, what what did God bring upon the earth? The curse. The curse that we would all die and face eternal punishment from him. That curse covered the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin, right? Right? Death and eternal punishment was all of our destiny. But here in Genesis chapter 5, there's this guy, Enoch, who doesn't die. God takes him to be with him. What's up with that? What's going on here? We've already read in Hebrews, Enoch's sins were forgiven. You know how his sins were forgiven? Hebrews 9:14. Jesus' death retroactively paid for Enoch's sins and for Sarah's and for Abraham's and all those who were saved in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve's too. Okay, But it was because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross and because Jesus' resurrection broke the power of death. That's how God could reach down from heaven at the end of Enoch's life and take him right from earth to heaven, sparing him from dying. Enoch never died. Right into God's very presence. Okay, That's what happened. And the reason that God does this is it's a beauty have you ever heard somebody say that in the Old Testament they didn't talk about eternal life very much, or didn't talk about life after death? Well, Enoch's story is a is a complete picture, is a beautiful picture of how there is life after death. Enoch experienced it. Okay. So because Enoch had faith in God as his all-satisfying reward and trusted God's mercy, which would be purchased through the Messiah through Jesus. Enoch was pleasing to God because of that undeserving, his faith was undeserving, but it was faith, it was genuine faith, and God was pleased with him. And so as a result, throughout Enoch's life, he had times, as we read in this verse, where God lets him feel his pleasure, lets him sense, God, God's commending me, it's, a, it's his mercy, but he's, I'm in, he loves me, I'm in. And then towards the end of his life, God rewarded, mercifully rewarded Enoch's undeserving faith, Okay by sparing him from death and taking him directly into heaven. So the point is this, God's reward is not overcome by death. God's reward of his people is not overcome by death. Enoch is an Old Testament saint who, te- who shows us that God's power overcomes death. Now, most of us are not going to overcome death the same way that Enoch did. Okay, I'm not sure if that'll happen to anybody else. Most of us overcame death the same way that Jesus Showed us. He died and then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of death. Son of God died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead. That's how we are going to see God's power overcoming our death is we're going to die. He's going to give us grace to die. Don't fear your death. He will give you grace to die. And then he's going to raise you from the dead. Okay. And so the point is God's power overcomes death. So here, here's what the author wants us to understand at this point. Verses 3, 4, and 5. God is, he exists, Hebrews 3, we see it in creation. Hebrews 4, he is the rewarder of those who seek him. He gives us the infinitely most satisfying, superior to anything else the world has to offer, the joy of knowing him. He gives us that, Abel demonstrates that. But not only that, this reward that he gives us graciously and mercifully lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the reward. Full joy in knowing God now and forever. And we read that that all comes to those who have pleased God. Enoch pleased God. Last two words of verse 5. So then that raises the question, okay, so how can we please God and experience what Abel experienced and experience what Enoch experienced, although it'll be through death and resurrection? How can we please God? It's only one way, okay? Verse 6, look what he says. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Okay, now, three takeaways I want you to think about, okay? Three applications. First of all, some of you are not yet trusting Jesus Christ. And if you're not yet trusting Jesus Christ, and here's the first takeaway... Trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and start seeking God's reward. I want to call you to do that. You can be completely forgiven for all your sin, all the past sin, all the present sin, all the future sin. You can be completely forgiven right before God He's loving you. He's caring for you. He's pouring his mercy upon you through Jesus Christ, through what he did. So trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and start seeking God's reward. The reward of knowing him, loving him, trusting him. If you turn your back on that, it it will mean eternal punishment for you. That's what it'll mean. But if you embrace that, if you embrace that, It'll mean complete forgiveness, forgiven by your creator, and the joy now and forever of knowing God. So trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and start seeking God's reward. First takeaway. Second takeaway. If you are trusting Christ, then seek God for his reward. Are you seeking God's reward? Do you agree with me in verse 6 that what this is saying is that you can't please God unless you're seeking his reward? You can't please God unless you're seeking his reward. Let me read it again. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, and here he explains what faith is, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him can 't please God unless you're seeking His reward, the reward of God himself so listen, lay aside the puny rewards the world has to offer. lay those things aside they're half baked they're puny they're temporary, they barely even just a little squidge of satisfaction sometimes, maybe a little bit a little God fills you, God satisfies you, God comforts you, the living God so if you're already trusting Jesus Christ, pursue God's reward now and forever. All right? And then third, if you're trusting Christ, tell somebody else this amazing news. Here's the amazing news. God's purpose, the the purpose of the creator. You could say to them, listen, we learned Sunday. God created everything. There's a God and his purpose is to reward people with the joy of knowing him through Jesus Christ. What amazing news. We've just heard the best news in the world. This is who God is. God loves to reward people with the joy of knowing him through Christ. God is a rewarder. He wants to reward. He wants to reward. He he wants to reward people. So tell your, your neighbor that this week. Tell the person that you're in the cubicle next to you. Tell them that this week. Did you know that, that there is a God and that he loves to reward people through Jesus Christ? Tell your kids that. Sit down, tell them this afternoon. Tell your parents that. Tell your friends that. Who this week can you tell that the purpose of the creator of the universe is to give us the reward of knowing him through Jesus Christ, and no matter what we've done, we all can receive that through the forgiveness purchased through Christ. The best news in the universe. So who are you going to talk to? You just can't keep this bottled up, church. Don't don't let that happen. Who can you share this with? Tell someone. Okay, now let's stand. I'm going to pray this over us. Praying that the gospel is just going to spread through the South Bay area because we're all going to be talking to people about this this week. So let's pray. Amazing truth that you, the creator of the universe, love to mercifully reward our undeserving faith because of what Jesus Christ has done. What a God you are. You love to reward us mercifully with the best reward. There could be yourself that we can know you and commune with you and worship you that we can behold you and talk with you and experience your presence so, O oh Lord, I pray for anybody here who's not yet trusting Jesus Christ. Please, I pray, Father, save them right now. Change their hearts. Give them faith right now. Draw them to yourself. I pray for those here who are trusting you, Lord, that we would lay aside the puny rewards and pursue you as our reward through Christ. Strengthen us in that. Help us to see the things we've been seeking besides you as our reward and to lay those aside, help us to lay them all aside. And the Lord, I pray you'd give us grace and love and boldness to tell someone this amazing news that the God of the universe loves to reward us with the joy of knowing him through Jesus Christ. I pray that each of us here can tell someone that amazing news this week. So Lord, thank you for your work. Thank you for your word Thank you for your reward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.